Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of stuff. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And today I'm going first, and I'm going to ask you, Emily, do you know where the devil goes to dance? I don't. Georgia? (laughs) No, actually, North Carolina, of all places. (gasps) I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I I shouldn't be either. Anyway, so there's a place not far from here called the Devil's Tramping Ground. It is about 50 minutes southwest of us between Siler City, North Carolina and Goldston, North Carolina. So really not that far at all. And it's in Chatham County, which is right after Orange County where Chapel Hill and UNC, if you guys are not familiar with the area, but you probably know Duke and UNC. Well, UNC, is their home is in Chapel Hill. So it's not that far from Chapel Hill. So what is the Devil's Tramping Ground? Do you know anything about it, Emily? I have never heard of this in my time in North Carolina or my life. I want to know more about it. I think you'll like it because you like soil and all that stuff. That I do. Yeah. So it is. uh, So I'm going to say it's between a 20 and 40 foot diameter circle in which absolutely no vegetation grows. No grass, nothing. And if you're familiar with North Carolina, everything grows here. It's a, it's practically a rainforest, like in the seething woods. Seething with life. Yes, it's seething. It's teeming. In those, in the summer, it's hot. It's humid. There's trees everywhere. Stuff just grows here. So, local legend has it that in this forty-foot diameter circle, a strange occurrence happened within it. So apparently, dogs won't go near it or inside of it. They'll bark at it. People hear and see strange figures in the woods around it at night. People who sleep inside the ring will wake up miles away. As well as if you push, put objects in the center, they will disappear. So, Ooh. yeah, isn't this weird? Yes. The, the legend says that the reason for this is that the devil comes out or goes back to hell in this circle. So it's a portal to hell. (laughs) Can we go? Yeah, I wanted to go yesterday, but it was rainy and gross, and I didn't feel like tramping through the woods in the mud. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, but it's really not far away. And so he either comes in and goes back out of hell, he stomps around in a circle with his fiery hooves, and that's why no grass grows. And other stories say that he likes to dance around in this circle. So it's where the devil goes to dance, and that's why nothing grows in there. So the legend is as old as Chatham County itself, which was formed in 1771. So this is an old story. And my piecing together of the different parts of Chatham County lore and how people have come to settle here makes me believe that a mixture of all kinds of stuff is going on to make make it so that 
this story came about and has become so old and so loved and so well established. Mm -hmm. So the first churches to be established here were Baptist ones. And Sandy Creek Association is actually the oldest Baptist organization in the state. And that was even formed before Chatham County itself in 1758. There's also a mix of the traditional obsession with witches and fae folklore from the Scots-Irish settlers who came here. So we have the Scots-Irish who seem to have named everything in North Carolina that might have been strange after the devil. Because there's Kill Devil Hills, <laughs> there's the Devil's Circle, there's, you know, there's all kinds of devil things here. <laughs> Devilment. Yeah. Um, as well as the early Baptist history, but we can't forget the folklore and stories of the enslaved Africans that worked here as well. So there, there were no plantations um, in the little Siler City area, but there were like small farms and enslaved African Americans worked there as well. So you've got a mixture of stories um, that came together and... That's where the the devilment came from, I think. This is my this is my theory as to why the devil's circle circle folklore came to be. Either that or he really does dance there. I don't know. I I mean I think that sounds pretty legit. I mean, you can see a lot of West African folklore in American cryptid stories as well. It's because of chattel slavery in the United States. It's a it's deeply ingrained in local folklore yes so there's also other supernatural explanations um there's the ancient native american burial ground of course this is obviously why there's a 40 foot diameter circle that doesn't grow anywhere is because we have to move from the devil to native americans as we get into you know our our folklore, we have to talk about mystical Native Americans fighting each other and their dead bodies are there and we have to blame them for the 44th circle now too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just happens. It kind of moves back and forth. UFOs, of course. Well, yeah. Yeah. And then I've never heard of this. Heavy Magdalenic crystal energy. Never heard of that myself either. I, I kind of looked it up, but I was going down a rabbit hole I didn't want to go through, so I stopped. Blame me for that. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> it was a it's like a new agey belief in that it's like a place where there's a heavy concentration of divine female energy. Oh. And that's oh. why nothing grows. That didn't make any sense to me. That seems like the opposite. Yeah. Right. Of what would happen? Yeah, I thought so, too. I didn't understand it. It's a crystal column of energy, is what it said. I was like, I don't I don't know what that is. But okay, I will mention it. And if somebody else knows about it, they can let us know. Yeah. Because, <laughs> so, I mean, those are, those are all words that have definitions. Those are that words. You, that you said. But I don't know that the definitions uh, make the statement... <laughs> <laughs> Other people told you makes sense. Yeah, you know. So in the early 2000s, a soil scientist from Chatham County, his name is Richard Hayes, he decided to test the soil in the circle to see if he could figure out why nothing grows in it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So the soil test really raised even more questions. The soil in the circle has a higher sodium, copper, zinc, and pH level from the soil from the woods around it, but none of the values are high enough to make the soil toxic. So he did a soil test, and I mean, they're, they're a little bit higher, but not enough to make it so that absolutely nothing will grow. Right. And particularly, you said the pH is higher. The soil around here is very acidic, like to the point mm -hmm. where cer certain things do not thrive well here. And so mm -hmm. a higher pH would mean more things were likely to be able to grow there. And it's not the pH of the soil around here isn't so high that if it was if it was or isn't so low, so acidic that if it was a little higher, things couldn't grow. It's that's really weird. Yeah, it is weird. And also at certain points in the circle, a compass will skew about five degrees, Ooh. which happens in high iron content soil from what I understand, but oh, that yeah. wasn't found in the soil tests. That wasn't found in the soil tests at all. Do you know if they've done any uh, ground sensing, like radar ground testing or anything like that? I doubt it. It didn't certainly didn't mention it in the articles that I found about it. But that was my next question. Like, why not take some ground sensing and see if there's something down there? That's... Maybe it's, I mean, maybe it is a doorway to hell. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but you know. Yeah. I maybe would like it is to a know. big metal doorway to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean, wondering it... if, go ahead. Go... It kind of sounds to me like there's some kind of huge, weird rock. Yes. Under that area, but I don't, I, that's just a guess. That would be fun to find out. It would. Let's do it, Sarah. Let's go dig yes. some holes. Yes. We In can take your metal soil. detector. Yes, we could. <laughs> find Digging a lot holes. of bottle caps. <laughs> yes. So what is there? Uh, there have been ash piles from camper and other visitors' fires because people like debauchery. They like the devil. They like to go and see if they can see the devil. So there's uh, ash piles in the middle of the, in the in the middle of the circle. And if anything, from what soil scientists have said, they're like that. Honestly, should make this circle even more fertile because <laughs> there's like ash piles in there would actually make it more fertile, from what I've read. And because of the curiosity and popularity of the story, local people like to go there and there can be a lot of litter, but even then that's not enough. I mean, grass will grow in a place you didn't even think it would here. So there's no reason for it to not grow there as well. At one point, according to one person that wrote an article about it, there was uh, an old refrigerator in the middle of the circle that had failed to disappear. So maybe someone was trying to get rid of it cheaply and hope, hoping that the devil and the devil energy would get rid of his refrigerator for him. But <laughs> <laughs> that is gone now. Limit. There's a weight limit. There's on, a weight limit. On what devils will disappear. <laughs> So if you want to go there, it's in the forest off of uh, NC-421 outside of Siler City, North Carolina. There's actually a Devil's Tramping Grounds Road and an official sign 
The Devil's Tramping Grounds Road actually gets stolen quite frequently, so <laughs> you might be looking for the official uh, DOT sign. After mm -hmm. you pull off of the side of the road, there's a dirt path. Uh, a few feet down the dirt path uh, through the woods is a is your circle. It's the circle where nothing grows. And it's between 20 and 40 feet, just depends. And people do camp there and have fires in general debauchery and maybe you can even dance with the devil in the moonlight who knows <laughs> that's amazing i've never heard that story yeah and that's right right near us yeah and unfortunately it rained all week yes yeah, so, so i had i had I, I didn't go out there i could have but it was so gross all week i and the only we're recording now and it's perfectly sunny out yeah it's a beautiful day <laughs> Oh, should we record an episode in the devil's circle? That'd be awesome. We totally I wonder, should. I wonder if our equipment would even work. Why wouldn't it? Because of the devil. Oh, you're right. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> he he would probably enjoy being on the podcast. He probably would. He'd probably like the attention. <laughs> That'd be a big get for us. <laughs> quite the interview be like hey would, where do you go by the way <laughs> I came across it uh for weird stuff around here because I like to go hiking mm -hmm. and it came up as something to do and I was like this is crazy so yeah that's how I discovered it well and I'm wondering I want I want to know why because there's probably I mean there has to be some flavor of a physical explanation even if it's in the you know even if i'm not saying that there's no a supernatural origin but even if there is a supernatural origin it's got to be impacting physical understandable non-metaphysical things so i'm wondering if there's some sort of like issue with the fungal networks mm -hmm. that plants tend to be connected by or i don't it's i mean because it's a circle it strikes me as like a meteorite possibility and just some sort of weird space rock. I was wondering that myself. Especially with the magnetic issue. And it's been there a long, long time. Seven In the 1700s, it was there. So right. something's and, down there. And there's been enough loss of oral history of indigenous people in this area that there's probably, you know, there were probably people that had an explanation of that and knew why it was the way it was. They might have seen the meteor come down. <laughs> yeah. Oral history is so important. Agreed. That's why we're talking into microphones right now. That and it's fun. It is fun. <laughs> and so I wanted to take my dog out there to oh, see yeah. if she would bark at it or anything or not go in the circle. Uh, Apparently, some guy actually camped with his dogs, and his dogs were fine, but he heard footsteps all night. Ooh. Like the devil was dancing around him. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the dogs were fine, it can't have been that bad. Yeah, Meaning, exactly. like, it can't have been that uh, off-putting, because dogs are great sentinels. Yeah, and my dog barely hears anything. 
So, I mean, she she wouldn't be t- very good for, like, a, a hearing dog for guarding, but she would definitely alert for something weird. Mm-hmm. Well, she could smell stuff. She can probably sense electromagnetic frequencies like we all can. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. She can see. Yeah. So, she got two whole eyeballs. Yeah, she is very good at seeing, seeing holes. she knows a pizza from a mile away (laughs) (laughs) as all dogs so yes devil's tramping grounds it's there and i really want to go there to visit it where does the devil go to dance north carolina turns out turns out (laughs) i never thought about how much stuff around here is named after the devil yeah, someone mentioned that in one of their articles. And I was like, that's right. There's a ton of stuff named after the devil. It's the I mentioned Kill Devil Hills, and there's a bunch of other, like, on the coast, there's a bunch of stuff after the devil on the coast. So I've got a quote for you, Sarah, and I want to know if you know what the quote is from. Okay. My battery is low, and it's getting dark. Uh, me at 3 (laughs) a.m. So I am quoting Jacob Margolis, who is a journalist who was providing a prosaic translation of the Opportunity Rover's last transmission. So yesterday was the one or yesterday was the one year anniversary of the ending of the Opportunity mission on Mars. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to cover today because I think my battery is low and it's getting dark even though it's a it's a, a basically a translation of the codes that were transmitted it's still deeply touching i think i know every time i think about curiosity i think of wally all by I, himself yeah. and i love wally so much yeah curiosity is just tooting around mars boop, i boop, know <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to talk about where space rovers go yes at first, I was going to do rovers versus probes, or rover, rovers and probes. There are so many space probes that have been sent out that I don't even know that I could cover a full list of them. It would just be a list of like numbers and letters, and it would be pretty dull. Uh, rovers are, I think, a little more sort of touching to humans because they're little robots that move around. And there are lots of different ways that they've moved around planet surfaces, uh, they have there have been ones on skis there have been ones that hop there have been ones that roll so uh, rover versus probe I'll do a little defining a rover lands on a planetary surface ideally that's what it's supposed to do and it can move around a probe does not move ideally sometimes probes fall over or get blown away that's not what anyone wants to have happen it just you know they can be moved And a probe is intended to either take data from one point on a surface or take data along a flight path. So uh, we're often familiar with, say, the Voyager space probes. Those are in motion, but they are not roving on a planetary surface. And they weren't intended to land on a planetary surface either. So for rovers, we've got lunar rovers, Martian rovers, as in rovers that land on Mars, and asteroid rovers. And the United States, the Soviet Union, slash Russia, China, India, Japan, France, and Germany have all designed and launched rovers 
for ver- with varying degrees of success. And I'll go into different countries and their different success rates. Uh, and if you want, you can find the exact latitude and longitude of especially stationary rovers, meaning ones that whose missions have been ended. And Wikipedia has the latitude and longitude data for uh, a lot of these rovers. And then you can click on that data and you can see photo maps of most or all of these items. So you can see sort of where all these guys end up. And long story short, rovers stay where they are most of the time. Sometimes they crash land or they burn up in the atmosphere. But otherwise, if it's a successful landing, they rove around. They can ski around, they can hop around, they can roll around. And their power source tends to be the major limiting factor in their lifespan. So some have non-rechargeable batteries, so they have a set mission lifespan. And some do have rechargeable batteries. So we'll go into some of the rovers and where they've been and what we ha- as humans have roved. So the Soviet Union were the first ones to send a rover to the moon. And they attempted in 1969, but that mission crashed just after launch. And then they successfully landed two rovers. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but Lunacod 1 and Lunacod oh. 2. They were both unmanned rovers, uh, 1970 for one and 1973 for two. Lunacod 1 managed to move 197 meters away from the landing site in the Sea of Rains on the moon, and it operated for 11 months, which was, until Mars exploration, the longest operating rover. So the first rover was a little powerhouse. Uh, Amazing little thing. And they're both still on the moon. Uh, They were both powered down. And that's that. They're just hanging out. Oh, Yeah. Then we've got the Soviet Mars program. All attempts to land a rover on Mars by the USSR were at least partial failures, though they were the first to get any man-made objects onto the surface of Mars. So credit where credit is due. Mars 2 was a lander and a rover, and that crashed into the Mars surface in 1971. Mars 3 was a lander and a rover and then landed safely in 1971 but the rover failed 20 seconds after landing it did transmit a partial photo of the martian surface so that was our first space transmission from mars which is pretty cool it's cool that it happened in 1971 i had no idea it was that early right and so the all these basically are wherever they crashed that's where they ended up Uh, Mars 4NM and 5NM were both meant to land rovers on Mars, but they both failed all their test launches. So they never even got off the Earth's surface. And that was kind of the wrapping up of the Soviet Mars program. There are future, you know, missions that are potential, but they're not. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing operational or even formerly operational of Soviet origin on Mars. But there is stuff on Mars from the USSR. So next we've got the United States. And on the moon, the only rovers the United States has placed on the moon have been lunar roving vehicles. They're those space dune buggy things that we have video of astronauts using, where you kind of imagine them like bouncing around in a big 
four-wheeler with a, with a satellite dish on it, essentially. And they were sent with Apollo 15, Apollo 16, and Apollo 17 missions. And then each one was left on the lunar surface. Each one was used to travel around 30 kilometers. And each one functioned as expected, which was impressive that you had three missions with three different rovers and they all worked pretty well. They had to be constructed, partially unfolded, and then partially constructed on the moon's surface by the astronauts, which I did not know. Yeah, neither did I. And it's just amazing to me that somebody, I mean, it's not like you've got the little Ikea guy pointing to the pieces and where they go on a lunar rover. So they had to do this in spacesuits, clunky spacesuits in reduced gravity and while I'm sure it was simplified so that it was straightforward to do that's there's no way that was easy to do it's amazing no it's not like you just have to put like just put the antenna in and it's done (laughs) right exactly it's not like after your car went through the car wash in the early 90s and you just screw your antenna back in and go So the United States also has rovers on Mars. Uh, In 1997, the Sojourner landed. And it was expected to operate from 7 to 30 days. And then it actually operated fully for 90 days. And then a further five months after that with partial communications. It's still on Mars. And it was actually spotted just hanging out, sitting where it sits, in 2007 by the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. The Spirit in 2004 was active 2004 to 2010. Uh, The Spirit was sort of the sister rover to the Opportunity. And the Opportunity operated for like 15 years. The Spirit ended up essentially freezing to death in a particularly harsh Martian winter. And I put a little little sad face in my notes. It's, It's still on Mars. And then the Opportunity... Ended up becoming the farthest traveling rover since the Lunacod 2, over 26.3 miles. So Opportunity roved a marathon. And I know that doesn't sound like a ton, but when you're like, a, when you're just a teeny robot alone on, on a, a hostile planet, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Opportunity was super productive, lots of panoramic images, and its last transmission was October 2018, although I said that, that yesterday was the anniversary of the en- official ending of the, the Opportunity mission. Uh, and in October 2018, the, the message, as I said at the beginning, was decoded and translated as my battery is low and it's getting dark. <laughs> and that struck a lot of people. It's a, it's a very, I mean, it's a human translating for a robot, very much so, but it's, it's, I think it's deeply touching. It is, and it makes me kind of want to cry. I'm like, oh. I know. You just want to give this little, little box of bolts a hug. I know. So the Curiosity rover, which Sarah talked about, is still trucking along. It's been on Mars since 2012. It was originally intended to operate for two years, and its mission was extended indefinitely. It will operate until it doesn't anymore. Wow. It has traveled 13.54 miles, and you can actually use NASA's website to track it. So you can, you can, they'll tell you where it was kind of a few days ago. Like, I think you can see where it was in January 24th of this year. 
but you can see where it was January 24th of this year. So you can, you can keep an eye on curiosity if you're curious. So that one's still tootling along on, on Mars. I didn't know you could go to the website and see where it is. I love that. Yeah. I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes so that people can where it's, it's called, where is the Rover? Uh, so there was a rover called the Beagle 2, which was intended to dig into the Martian surface and take subsurface samples. And unfortunately, it failed upon landing in 2003. Now, since Aww. then, there have been probes that I think are intended to do the same thing that have landed. But that one, Beagle 2, failed in 2003. So that's the United States and rovers. Some are still going. Some went a long time. Some are just hanging out as space junk. Uh, so let's move on to China. Uh, the U-2, also known as the Jade Rabbit, is a rover that spent 31 months tootling around the moon in 2013, 14, and 15. And it ended up failing mostly due to temperature damage. Because both Mars and the moon have much thinner atmospheres than the Earth. And so when it's sunny when you're on the light side of the moon or the part of Mars that's in daytime it is much warmer and then when you're on the dark side it is you know all that heat easily escapes because there is not an atmosphere sort of a blanket of an atmosphere holding it in place or not as much of one so that's why temperature damage is such a big deal and the Jade Rabbit was intended to operate for three months, and it went 31 months. So, Oh, wow. And its last transmission was also uh, rather beautiful. It, it, it was good night, Earth, good night, humanity. Aww. Yeah, little Jade Rabbit. There was a U-2-2. I might be mispronouncing this. I'm sorry. I am uh, not even not fluent in Mandarin, let alone fluent in it. It landed January 2019, and it's still operating. And this was the first U.S.-China joint space effort since 2011 when there was a congressional ban on them. And China released a huge amount of data and images in January 2020. I'm not sure if you can track U-2-2. I think because it's a, a Chinese effort, it may not be something that they want everyone to know exactly where it is all the time. Yeah. So. Those are the two Chinese lunar rovers, and they've been very informative. And there, there was sort of a promise that the U-2-2 information and I think even the landing site could be used for future U.S. moon missions, an important collaboration. Wow. India, oh, sorry. India in 2019 uh, had the Vikram lander and the Pragyan rover. Unfortunately, they were destroyed when they crashed into the moon. Oh, yeah, I remember this. This wasn't too long ago, right? Exactly. It was last year, and it was sad in that that's a loss of a lot of first steps for the country of India. And I there's future lunar exploration planned, I'm certain. And so, you know, go India, go. I think the moon should be for everybody. And finally, there's Japan, France, and Germany that have worked on... Asteroid rovers. So 162173 Ryugu is an asteroid. And the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency, or JAXA, has landed in conjunction with France and Germany. 
one spacecraft and three rovers on an asteroid. And the spacecraft slash mission are both called Hayabusa 2. The four rovers are called the Hebu, or Hebo, Owl, Minerva, and Mascot. <laughs> Fun. Two rovers, the Hebu and the Owl, are return rovers. They are intended to bring samples back to Earth. They were signaled to return in their spacecraft in November of 2019 and are expected in December 2020. So these rovers are in space right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there have been attempts at return rover missions before, particularly the Soviet Union was interested in this, and it just hasn't worked out yet. So this is this is a, a bigger deal than I think is being made of it. I mean, they land. They landed a rover or a spacecraft, and then rovers on a very fast-moving small object, and they're gonna get them back. It's just, it's this surprised me this this mission and how we don't know a ton about it. Uh, the Minerva oh, wait, rover. They're coming back. Yes, they're wow. on their way back right now. They'll be home in time for Christmas. Aww. Yeah, the uh, the Minerva rover didn't release properly, so it took some measurements from orbit, transmitted them, and then was intentionally crashed into the asteroid surface. And then the mascot is the French-slash-German contribution to the project. Probably not the only one, but is a French-slash-German contribution to the project. And it did not have rechargeable batteries, so it only had 16 hours on the asteroid to be active. And it they all uh, hop around the surface of the asteroid. Which, which sounds kind of char- it sounds kind of charming. I don't, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just imagining little sprawny robots. Exactly. So the mascot is back with the spacecraft as well. So the Hebu, the owl, and the mascot will all come home. Uh, it just had a much shorter uh, battery life. So how how do we know? where rovers are and how do we tell them what to do and how do they tell us what they're doing and how do they tell us tragic final words to make us all tear up a little because you know it's sort of assumed yeah we can talk to stuff in space but like why and how so uh, this is a very very brief overview so rovers tend to be provided with a fair amount of autonomy to avoid obstacles to geolocate to perform particular tasks so there's a lot of computer programming that uh, comes into play here and that computer programming is critical because it can take 3 to 21 minutes to transmit information from Mars to Earth or vice versa and it takes it can take similar amounts of time to transmit a fair amount of information from Earth to the moon maybe less time but still so it's it's a type of thing where if you want to get done we want to get things done efficient, efficiently and not babysit a little robot in space. You provide it with a fair amount of programming. But there's also remote control available done by radio signals of very different wavelengths. So we send radio signals out. The little robots uh, get them. And then they transmit information back via radio signal. So that's how it works. So that's where rovers go. They almost always stay where they are, except for uh, the Hebu owl and mascot, which are on their way home. 
which is pretty cool. That is cool. Had no idea they were coming back. I just assumed we send stuff out, they transmit, and then they're gone. Yeah, and that's been our human experience up until November 2019 when they were able to all pile back into the space shuttle and come on back. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that that's where the devil goes to dance and space rovers go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the devil goes to space, but I don't I don't know. When we I go visit like... the when yeah. we go visit the the circle, we can ask him. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. That'll be part of our interview. We need to get some interview questions. <laughs> right. If you have questions you'd like us to ask the devil when we go to the devil's circle and the tr- devil's tramping grounds, you can email us at where does it podcast at gmail.com. Yes. You can also find our website, where does it podcast.com. Sarah recently freshened it up a bit, so it's looking very nice. Thank you. And we're on social media, so send us a little message if you want. <laughs>